Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday evening, and I decided this week uh, I'm going to do a podcast on the Haftarah. Uh, and uh, I really want to thank Jonas Stefanski for uh, sponsoring this, a very generous Ray Connie's a very good friend, as they say, and uh, I'll tell you why I'm doing this. I uh, usually do Shnayim Mikarecho Targum, you know, uh, I imagine most people do. I do a Donkulis, and uh, usually I dominate it up like Sunday, Monday, I try to get it over with, out of the way, because you have so many other things to worry about during the week, and uh, this week it didn't work out for whatever reason. It's only this morning that I get to finish the old Shnamik Targum of Parshat Vayera. All right, it happens. But I also have a habit, custom, of doing the Haftorah also, Shnamik Vayera Targum of Haftorah. You don't have to do that. I'm just, at least I'm not aware people do that. But, but I do it. I don't know. I started doing it years ago. Which means, therefore, you do the Haftorah in the same way, except with the Targum, obviously, on the Tanakh. So in the Chumash, you have the Targum Unculus. And on the Nevi'im is the Targum Yonis and Benazil, as they call it. And uh, those are two different different things. Uh, as everyone knows, the Haftarah is always from Nevi'im. It's never from Kesuvim. Right? Never from Kesuvim. Now, not everybody knows it. I was walking in school the other day, and a little kid from some other little class I never met before came over to me out of nowhere, and he said, I have a question to ask him. He said, why isn't uh, Daniel in the Haftarah? You know? That's a pretty good question for a little kid to ask. And uh, I said, you know, because everything's from the Nevi'im, you don't do it from the Ksubim. So, in the Nevi'im, you have uh, Targum Yonis and Benazil. Now, I also dive that up also, to be perfectly honest. Usually, my schedule's of such a nature that, you know, I'm committing myself to do Shnai Mekarech Targum, but I don't dwell in a great amount. Sometimes when you're going through the Targum, you notice things. Or at least I do. Jumps out of you. If it does, great. I have something to talk about or notice or whatever. And same thing with the Yonis Menizil, some which is very often uh, diverges from the Pashup Shot. Much more so than the Unclus. I don't know if you know this or not. Much more so than the Unclus. The Yonis Menizil goes on his merry way, you know. Uh, and Rashi on the Nevi'im, very often I notice, simply, you know, lifts it out of Yonis Menizil. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, uh, having said that, so usually I go through it pretty fast and unless something jumps out at me. Today, and I was in a hurry this morning because I had a lot to do, uh, Baruch Hashem, I finished off my uh, lecture for Saturday night, so what I'm trying to do now is get it done by the middle of the week. My son is kind enough to uh, record it, you know, video, make a video out of it, at my house, because it's the corona era, usually I do it in a show here in Baltimore, Shomri Muna, but now I can't do it that way. And then, uh, my good friend Yossi Westing, who's a magician with the editing, he fixes it up, and then by Monty Shabbos, we're able to send it out. For example, this week, 
it should be on my YouTube uh, channel at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. That's our plan for the winter. Try to get always up and running 8 o'clock on Saturday night. This will be talking about the Ethiopian Jews. Uh, I originally intended to do one talk about them, but it's such a big uh, subject and a lot of racism, actually, that it turned into two. So I'm doing one part this week and one part next week. That's my plan. So uh, once I finished that, so I was able to uh, take care of the podcast and all the rest of it. And I therefore, this morning when I was doing Schneider McGregor, although I have a college class later to teach in the morning, but um, anyway, I can tell you stuff jumped out at me, and that's what I want to share with you right now. The story is about Alicia and some of his miracles. I don't know whether you notice or not, if you ever thought about it, the Bible is chock full of prophets. And let me confine my remarks to Nevi'im. Because you know, Moshe Rabbeinu is in a class by himself. Well, let's talk about the Nevi'im. There's plenty of Navis running around. And I think they say there were 48 of men and 7 women, something like that. And there's even more. There's a wonderful Rashi in um, Megillah, Gamar Megillah, where he lists off all the 48 prophets, I believe. And, um, you know, 7 women, Devorah, Abigail, Esther, and so forth. And uh, then there were more, Kiflam, Kiyotz, and Mitzrayim, the Gemara says. There are plenty of Navis, plenty of prophets. Now, um, if you ever take trouble to study Tanakh, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Tanakh. My father was a big Tanakh person, so he drilled it in my head when I was a kid. So thank God it's still Kirsi Yankasa. So uh, uh, most of these Navim have a cameo per appearance. Huh? What is a Navi in a typical Tanakh? Some guy it goes to a king, gives him a message, maybe gives him a musr, gives him a mushal, and then hits the road. He goes through the gen- you know, if I ask you who's Shmaya, Shmaya one time talks to King Rechavim about this, another time talks to King Rechavim about that, and that's the end of it. Now, I'm not saying that that's all the person named Shmaya ever did, and that's all the prophecies he ever recorded. We'll never know. Maybe yes, maybe no. All we know is what we have in front of us in the text of the Nevi'im. As far as that's concerned, this person in Shmaya makes two cameo appearances. Achia <clears throat> Shaloni, uh, you know, Yehu, Hanimsha, uh, uh, whatever his name was, Yehu uh, uh, uh you know, all those type of people. Yachziel. They come and they go. And they are not miracle workers, I emphasize. They're not associated with making miracles. They're associated with making Musr speeches or something like that. Think, for example, for the prophet Nathan in the time of King David, who's so famous in Shmuel Beis. He's doing a cusses David out about Bathsheba and a few other things. But Nathan doesn't go around doing miracles. Now, I'm not saying he couldn't. I'm going to say he could. Who knows? All we know is what we have in front of us. That's my point. So a Navi is usually not associated with making miracles. Does Yeshayahu, in that big book of his, ever make a miracle? Does uh, Yermio, for that matter... You see what I'm saying? It's a, or Treyosar. They are speeches. They're, like I say, basically Musar, Shkofa things, Amuna things. I'll go even farther. Usually, a prophet, contrary to popular belief, doesn't predict the future. Right? He might say, if you don't do this, God will deliver you in the hands of so-and-so. But I'm talking about, you don't predict the future. The way we often say, oh, prophecy is the ability to the future. You have to ask the average person out there, including the average from Jew. If I met a Navi, I would tell him, tell me the magic number for the Powerball next week. You know, say, keep the Muslim for yourself. 
Give me the magic number. It's going to be 380 million bucks. That's what I don't want to know before. But generally speaking, they don't do that. They give speeches. They give, uh, I think, Yashkofa. Now, there are two exceptions. Elio and Elisha. Okay? It's interesting. Look in the Book of Malachim in such places, the Yamim and so forth. Using the Nevim like I just described. With the two big exceptions of Elio and Elisha. They are, first of all, there's a lot of chapters about them. Second of all, they are miracle workers, among other things. They do Tchias like in this week's Parsha. That's a miracle as far as I'm concerned. You know, they will provide magic food from places. Like I'll say to the poor widow this week, you know, fill the, fill the um, jars with oil so you can pay off your debts. And that's miraculous oil. There's a famous, I don't want to go into it now, but whenever it comes Hanukkah, people always bring down their adak. That you didn't have to get meiser on that oil because it was a shaman mitzvah, shaman nesamin, and Rechaim Brisker is reported in the uh, Zevin to say that, you know, the, the shaman on Hanukkah couldn't have been shaman nes, otherwise, you know, very brisker oriented. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been kosher for, for the for the menorah, all that kind of stuff. So, but Elio does miracles of all kinds. And, I mean, good and bad. He says, I'll make a drought for three years. That's a bad miracle. I mean, he. It's a nays. Wouldn't necessarily call that a positive type nays. Now, in this week's Parsha, I mean, this week's after we have the second guy, uh, Elisha. Elisha was the Talmud of Elio. Well, was he the Talmud of Elio? I'll tell you exactly what I mean. And I'll tell you what drew my attention. In today's Torah, you see, uh, not Elio, Elio's gone, but his successor, Elisha. And the story is that Elisha asked to be given Pishnayim and what Elio got, and he got it. By the time the story's over, he got it. So Elisha was mamish amazing. And there are people who put up charts, and they'll say, if you count it really all up, you can see that Elio did eight miracles, and Elisha did 16. If you want to get like that. So it's a Pishnayim. Now, um, there's a big difference, though, between the two. And I repeat, we, we refer to Elisha as the Talmud of Elio, but if you read the story closely in the book of Malachim, it's not exactly that way. Elio at one point runs to Harsinai and complains to God about his generation, and God says, you're fired, and go appoint a successor to yourself, and go to Elisha. So as Hashem designated who the guy should be who succeeds Elio, and Elio gave him the Adaris Elio, the mantle, and Elisha then, like I say, got the Pishnayim of the Nebu, of the miracle powers. So it's not like, as far as we can tell, it's not like Elisha was a devoted student of Eliyahu and followed him around and was a disciple, etc., etc., etc. Right? So as far as we can tell, Eliyahu is a loner. Whenever he operated, wherever he went, he went by himself. He looked strange. That's why he's described the beginning of Mluff and Bays with the hairy and all the rest of it. Now, let's contrast this with Elisha. It's funny. In today's Torah, and take a look at it. I'm hoping it's resolved if you, those who listen to this will be inspired to go look up Daftar for a change. And because there's plenty in Pachavaira, obviously. But Daftar is interesting in its own way. Its own way. And it says that um Elisha, it starts talking about the miracles of Elisha. And it says um that he came to uh Isha Achasmid Bain, I mean talk to Elisha. A lady said my husband died. The the Targum says was Ovadia, who was a good guy. And Elisha says, How can I help you? And she Basically says, I'm broke. And he makes Kalim Rakim, you know, 
knows he says, go get these jars and we'll fill them up with plenty of miraculous oil and then you'll be able to sell them and then that will take care of all your financial problems. So Elisha there is described as being alone in the exact same way that Elio was always operating alone. But then you move to the second half of the story, which is in today's Haftorah. And all of a sudden, Elisha has a secretary. He's got Gechazi. Like, where'd he come from? Right? I remind you, Elio, as far as we know, never had a secretary. He never had a, a panchavia, you know, a guy walking around with him all the time or anything like that. So, uh, where'd he come from? Right? Where'd he come from? Uh, now, uh, doesn't tell us. And what's moreover is, what kind of a disciple is Elisha? Is a crook. So we are presented here, I just thought about today, was a remarkable archetype of a certain individual who we are very familiar with today and have been throughout Jewish history, and that is the screening person who you have to go through in order to get to the Godel. <laughs> All right. Elio, if you want to talk to Elio, you went to him and you got his opinion, yes or no. Nowadays, you want to go to this big rabbi here and that big person there and that one there, you got to go through uh, the, the screen. And moreover, the screen will tell you, these secretaries and other gang guys, they'll tell you what the rabbi really thinks. Ad kedekach, that sometimes you hear psak aloha, but it's actually written by the secretary and he'll simply say, the God will tell me this. And that's a bummer. Now, we've had this in history and you have positive cases of this but you also have negative cases of this. I am thinking now of juxtaposing Yoshua Benun and Gehazi. Yoshua Benun is, is described as a self-effacing uh, disciple and secretary of Moshe Rabbeinu. In the words of Hazal, he arranged the chairs, he set up the tables. No, he was totally um, humble. It was Mavatal himself to Moshe. Ad Kedekach, that he was a little bit too humble. And that's why when you read the book of Joshua, you always see every 10 minutes, God has to buck them up. Chazak v'ematz, al-tiro, al-tichas, chazak v'ematz, chazak v'ematz. Look at the book of Yeshua. If Hashem is saying that all the time, even the Jewish people are saying, chazak v'ematz to Yeshua. So it goes to show you, he couldn't get out of the role of being mevatel himself, you know, uh, the way he'd been all the time in Moshe. But on the positive side, he was 100% honest and loyal. That's one kind of secretary. And there are many gedolim down the centuries who had that kind of thing. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, you took a had the Lipschitz, you know. Many people are like that, okay? Um, but it's also true that many other Gedolim and great people have secretaries who are unscrupulous and are utilizing their proximity to the big person for personal advantage. Don't tell me you haven't heard of this. I've heard of it plenty. You've heard of it plenty. And it's one of the plagues of Jewish life. One of the plagues of Jewish life. Because the sense of an iron curtain between the great person himself on the one hand and the public on the other. At a certain point, you don't know what's happening anymore. You know, when you hear something. So now we hear, this one said this about the corona, and that one said this about the corona, and the yeshivas. You don't know. Am I hearing from the person himself? Or am I hearing from the secretary? Moreover, is the information about the corona, or whatever it is, about this problem in Jewish life, or that problem in Israel, is that reaching the Godel unfiltered, or is it reaching a filtered and therefore skewed? Do you see? And uh, it's very interesting, because Gechasi is mamash this model. What happens? There's a Shunammite woman, and she wants a baby, and uh, we already see over here that Gechasi doesn't want to say, get her a baby, right? 
he said, Vayamar Mala, so said Vayamar Gechazi, I will ban in love with Isha So go help this woman. And um, what do you call it? When he uh, comes there, you know, so she has a baby, of course, that's the story. That's why we have this Haftorah. Um, because, you know, just like Sarah was was foretold she would have a child, so was the Isha Shanamis. I mean, that's the, the reason over there. And then, of course, the kid dies. That's the push shot in the story. And the lady runs to uh, Alicia saying, what'd you do to me? Why'd you give me a child and kill it? And uh, what does it say over here? It's, it's very, very interesting, at least to me. It says that, um, what do you call it? Uh, when Elisha saw in the distance, right? He says, you know, go see if that's the woman that, that I think it is, okay? And it goes on to say um, that Elisha says, I didn't know anything about the, the dead child. I didn't think about the dead child. Now, what does it say over here? Um, here it is. Vatova Elisha Alhimilahar. So the distraught mother runs to the prophet Elisha. Vatoxic Bralgov. And she's just Nagia, right? She holds on to his uh, legs and begging. Now, the truth of the matter is, this is a scene of what you call uh, pathos. It's a mother who lost a child, and you can totally hear it. There's nothing, what shall I say over here, improper about this. She's, she's going crazy, you understand? A toxic raglov. Gechazi all of a sudden becomes <laughs> the, uh, the frummy. And Vaigash Gechazi lahadva, right? And guess he gets trying to push her away. So notice, let me get this straight. The Navi didn't tell you to do it, and you're doing it anyway. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? The God didn't say anything, but you figure, he doesn't know, I'm going to know better than him. Uh, so you're more righteous than the Pope. And Alicia says the right thing. He said, leave her alone. No, don't take her away from my legs. Uh, because she's she's an Agmas Nefesh. Okay? Okay? It's my fault. There's something wrong with me because I should have known. I'm a Navi and I'm supposed to know all this stuff. And God, for some reason, for some reason, hid it from me. It's, I tell you, it's a very interesting story if you read it. God hid this from me. See, usually I'm a Navi. I know everything. But for whatever reason, uh, God hid this from me. Now, I'm going to tell you something. And this is so true. To Gechaz, he wants to be the me. And he wants to push her away and all the rest of it. Which turns out to have been wrong because the prophet told him, don't push her away. Get it? So, the first thing you do if you're a disciple of somebody is, you don't do nothing without him telling you. That's the whole shot of being a disciple. I'm learning Hilchaz Yiddishkeit. So, if you want me to do this, I'll do this. If you want me to do that, I'll do that. I'm supposed to learn from you how to act in life. So either Gechaz, he was brand new on the job, or he's a phony, a $2 bill. And he was a phony in a $2 bill. How do I know that? Because the famous Chazal, when it says that um, the it's a Gemara, you know, when Gechazi went to push her away, so really what he did is Lahadfa, uh, you know, to, uh, what's the word, fondle her. What was the words in Rashi here? I'm pulling up the Rashi in front of me. Um, he grabbed her, uh, you know, it's a famous supposed right? And uh, so what does that mean? He's a, he, he, he's a hypocrite. He's supposed to be the, 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 the prophet's the secretary and his right-hand man and do all the things that he's supposed to do. And really, 
he was taking advantage of a situation. By the way, it's disgusting. She's all distraught, and he's, you know, doing his shtick over there. You know what I'm saying? He has actually no conscience, no conscience whatsoever. And, uh, of course, when Alicia hears about this, he, he tells Gehazi to do X, Y, and Z, and then, you know, uh, and then Alicia comes and famously does Tchia Sameis and revives the child. Okay? So what are we left with here? Uh, what are we left with here? Alicia, for whatever reason, is not operating alone. He's got this uh, helper. I don't know why he took a, a helper on, unless they all did and were just not told. But it's not in there. And then I think you know, that's the end of the Avtar. Then you know, comes other stories in which Gechazi is exposed as Mamasha phony, meaning he's the type of person who's done nothing by himself, but because he has proximity to um, the great man, so he tries to capitalize on it in the literal sense of turning in the money, because I'm thinking, of course, of the story that comes a little bit later with the Syrian general Naaman. Well, I'm sure you recall this. He had leprosy, and by the time the story's over, Elisha cures the leprosy, and Naaman, who's a Syrian general, a general of Syria, Aram, says to the Navi, let me give you money, and Elisha, of course, says, I don't need your money, no, no money. That's a Kiddush Hashem, like Avram and the, and the Melech Saddam. I don't want your money. And, um, obviously, uh, Naaman is, is suitably impressed. Like we say today, the guy who doesn't take money, that's the real thing. Let me tell you, I've had occasion, because I've been involved, I have children, I have Shadduchim, I had my, you know, uh, Via De La Rosa, like everybody else. If you have kids, don't you marry them all off? Uh, and, um, p- people say, go to this person, go to that person. I won't go into details. You can tell the real ones, the real ones don't, aren't asking for money. The real ones aren't asking for money. So, Elisha says, I don't want your money, because he's the real thing. But I think you all know the story. Gechazi goes and lies, and he runs after Naaman and says, give me the money. You know, my master changed his mind. He wants it for Sadaka, <laughs> right? Charitable contribution. And Naaman is happy to do so. Now, what happens? Gechazi is found out because he probably, he doesn't realize. And that's part of the weird part of the story. He is the lieutenant of the greatest prophet in the world, a person who can see everything. And he doesn't, he think, he talked himself into thinking that no one will see me. He takes a little graft on the side and takes some money off the top from Naaman. But of course, we all know the story that Gaith, as he says, uh, I mean, excuse me, Elisha says, I know what you did, and if I give you a curse, you get the leprosy. That's just what happened to Gaithazi. So we have here the unworthy um, secretary, the person who's not thinking Lashem Shamayim, the person who's thinking Lashem Atzmo, who wants to use his proximity to power for self-benefit. And in the process, poisons things, because understand this well, when the Syrian general left, and, he, and, and the Jewish guy wouldn't take a penny, Elisha would not take a penny, he was very impressed. When this Gehazi showed up, and they say he changed his mind, I'm sure the Syrian general's like this, yeah, at the end of the day, a Jew's a Jew. <laughs> you know, how's he supposed to know? I mean, he went on his merry way, Naaman. How's he supposed to know? So the Chil Hashem has been performed. But Gechazi doesn't care whether it's Hashem or not. Now, the story goes on, as I think many know, that Gechazi is a leper, and uh, so are his kids. And they are associated, in the rabbinic tradition, with the four guys in the starving city. Because later on, one of the stories of Elisha is that there's a siege of the capital city of the north, Shomron. You know, there were two kings at that time. There's the kingdom of Judah, which was the Yerushalayim, the capital. 
And then there is the kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes, which the city of Samaria, Shomron, was the uh, capital. There's a terrible famine over there. There is human cannibalism described in the story. And then we have Demisa. Oh, hold on for a second. Sorry, I had a Shiloh come up. <laughs> I can't, you know, you're not allowed to put away a Shiloh for a podcast. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, what was I saying? So, the, he, 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 Gehazi becomes one of the lepers, and there's a starvation in the city. And mom's just starvation, you know, a little piece of food went for a million dollars. And uh, and then the story, this is Arba Mitzarim, you know. And the story is that the enemy besieging army fled for one reason or another. And the two lepers don't know that, the four lepers. And they go across the field, and they see um, that the enemy camp is empty. And they eat, because everybody's starving. If they're reduced to cannibalism, you can see what starvation was going on inside the city. And then after they eat, then it's very interesting. They say, this is not right. We should go and tell the others. Now, Demis is, um, this may be the teshuva, the, the form of the character of, uh, of Gehazi, or not. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. On the one hand, you would have expected a guy like Gehazi, based on his pecuni pecuniary uh, personality, to, to do this. This is what I would have done if I was that type of person. The city's starving. We see the enemy armies there. Tell you what we'll do. We will not tell anybody. And we'll uh, bring food into the city and sell it top dollar. And then we'll go out and we'll, and we'll say we got the food from, from outside. We're smuggling food in the city. And they have a good deal going on. You know, some people now, I'm sorry to say, are taking advantage of the corona with the government contracts. And uh, they're giving the food out and they're charging a million dollars, you know, for a sandwich. Uh, people are like that. It's called capitalism. Now, uh, Gehazi does not do that. He says, we got to go tell about the people that are starving. And they do come back and tell the people, and there's a mad rush to of the starving people into the enemy camp, which is empty, and people eat their fill. Uh, so maybe you can say, see, Gehazi turned around. On the other hand, you could also say, it occurred to me, that the reason they don't do that is because they're lepers, they're, they're Mitzrayim, and any food they touch gets like leprous, and there was no point. Anything they bring back to the city will be full of leprosy, and nobody will be able to eat it. So they figure, what the heck? You know, uh, we've eaten our fill. Uh, we don't have to get anybody else in trouble. We have Tzaraz. Nobody else does. So we'll just tell him anyway because we can't make any money away. In which case, he wasn't such a nice guy. He was just a nice guy. But either way, we're presented, it seems to me, in a marvelous fashion with the phenomenon of the good old secretary, as it were. You understand? Now, by the way, how did Elisha operate after this? By himself, he did guns fine. There are plenty of miracles that happen after he fires a Gehazi. He didn't need him. There are plenty of miracles that Elisha does after that. Uh, he, I, I'm sure when he took him on, he hoped that he'd be a good guy. But he was not unscrupulous. Now, I'll tell you the scary part. How was Gehazi, who obviously was a hypocrite, and therefore he was like Esau with, 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 with Yitzhak, you know, he... He shot the bull with him. He probably asked him, Shiloh's and asked him, look, this whole shtick where he pushes this woman, a crying woman, away from the feet. What's that all about? That's about, you know, I want to show the master how, what a frummy I am. You get it? Even though it was inappropriate. I told you again, the, the prophet told him, leave her alone. So he should have asked her shyly. He should have said, should I throw her away? But he didn't. Plus, if you go with the Chazal, that he found her, he mamish a shmo. Okay? Now, wait a minute. He is working to pull the wool over the eyes of Elisha. But, and, he, and by the way, on an ordinary situation, he would succeed. He would run after the enemy general Naaman. He would take the money. He'd put the money away somewhere, and no one would ever be the wiser. 
You see? Unfortunately for Gehazi, his boss was a guy named Elisha, who had Navu and Ruch HaKodesh in spades, and therefore Elisha saw with Ruch HaKodesh the hypocrisy of Gehazi. He knew what, what Gehazi had done. And they was able to see through it. Now I'll tell you how I take the story. Yes, I always take the parsha. You have to read the parsha either idealistically or cynically. I'm more the cynical type. That's my nature. Uh, because I think more realistic. I'll tell you what it means. You and I would be deceived by an Elisha. I'm sorry. We'd be deceived by a Gehazi. Because you and I don't have Ruach HaKodesh. We're not Navis. You get it? If the Torah tells you that this plot of Gehazi to, to, to appear in a hypocritical stance was frustrated because it so happened that the employer he was working for was one of the greatest Nabiim of all time. No, that means that if you're not, you're able to fool the person. And indeed, in Jewish history, we have many stories, not happy ones, of Gedolim who got into big fights with other Gedolim. And if you ask these Gedolim, they'll say, my secretaries and my Talmidim is the ones who did the Machar Kharif. There are many like that, okay? Um, I'm just thinking one that comes to mind. You know, one of the big fights in the 18th century was not the Emden Abishitz controversy, but the controversy between Abishitz and the Peneshur, which is even bigger than the Emden Abishitz one, but the Peneshur didn't write so much, so it's not so well known. But Peneshur was mummish an arch enemy of Yonas and Abishitz, and he was absolutely convinced, beyond question, that Yonas and Abishitz is a Shabtai Svi times 10. That's the story. Now, if you ask, like, from a historical point of view, it's because of this, that, and the other. But if you ask from the Yonas and Abishitz point of view, there's a bunch of famous biographies of Yonas and Abishitz that came out a eh, hundred years ago, whatever, and they're good, but they're hagiographic. In other words, if you hold from Yonas and Abishitz, then you have to go and explain why all these other people didn't like him or suspected him, and one of the reasons they explain always is, and I'm not saying that there's no ground in this, is the Talmudim were always making trouble because they're like that. They're holier than thou. And I recall specifically a story, I don't know if it's true or not, uh, but it could be, from the, in the Tzuntz, David Tzuntz biography which of Jonas Amishas, which is a big biography, a very interesting one. Um, it's very pro Amishas. It's a biography of Jonas Amishas, and it goes like this. Um... Uh, how's it go? When the Pnei Yeshua was published, the book Pnei Yeshua was published, so a copy was sent to Yonas Eibshitz, something like that, and the, here's how the story goes. And he was mavatal the whole thing. Knows this a chiddush, it's no chiddush. This a vart, it's no vart. And he wrote these long he'oras, either in the, I don't remember exactly the story, either in Gillian on the side of the page of his copy of Pnei Yeshua, or in a separate page. And uh, he wrote pages and pages to slug up the old Pnei Yeshua, whatever safer he had. Which you can do, but obviously there's something tendentious about that. Now ha The story goes like this. Having written it up, he got it off his chest. And therefore he said like this, I'm not going to send it. That's how the story goes. Many people like that. You write an angry letter, and then once you write the angry letter, you file it away. You know, because you got it out of your system, writing your anger, and now you're wise enough not to actually send it. And the story goes in this biography that that's what Bionis Abishitz did. He wrote up this whole thing, slugging up in a vicious way the Pnei Yeshua. But then he like put it away in a page, nobody should, locked it in a drawer. And, you know, 
It's not necessary to to, to publish or let people know that. Did it as an anger, whatever, like that. And then it's like this, but the Talmudian, remember, you know what I'm saying, just broke into the drawer and took it out and sent it to, you know, to, to, to the Peshaw. Okay? And that really blew him up, and that launched a war like World War Three. Okay? Now, I'm not saying the story's true, and I'm saying the story's not true. Either way, I don't know if the story's true or not true. But it's typical. There are many tales of Gedoli Yisrael, who, uh, if it was up to them, uh, a Gadol, a real Gadol, is an Ishalom, and uh, if it was up to them, they would have sort of like tried to, even if they had strong difference with someone else, not cause a whole scandal and make a big thing, because because at the end of the day, it's a Chil Hashem. You understand? Two Gedolim fighting is a Chil Hashem. But from the point of view of the public, it's not worth it. But the students who are holier than thou, you know, imagine, Rabbi Yonason Aishas, according to the story, said, I hold it's better not to send this letter. But some idiot student said, I guess, no, 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 it's better to send it. It's like Gechas, he said, oh, push her off. You understand? And the result was terrible. And it redounded to make the Machlokas Boer Keish, as we all know. It's one of the terrible fights in Jewish history. I seem to recall also there was a big fight between the Ma'arik and the Moshe Kapsali. It's a very famous story also. Um, where Ma'arik was the biggest rabbi in Italy. I don't think I ever did him in a podcast. And Moshe Kapsali was the biggest rabbi in Turkey. Now, frankly, the Ma'arik was much bigger. But that doesn't matter. Each one was a guns fine at Tom uh, I mean, Ma'arik is like super. You read the Savior Ma'arik, you know what I mean? And it was told to Ma'arik that... Ramosha Gapsali issued, I forget what it was, three psakalochas that the Marik held were terrible. What had to do with the Yivam, I think, because I, I can't remember anymore. Uh, this is in the 1400s. And the Marik wrote him a, a letter blasting him to Helen back and really calling him every name in the book. Uh, now, Ramosha Gapsali was a tzaddik. This is how the story goes. So he didn't say anything. It wasn't true, the charges made against him, but he didn't reply. And um, I forget exactly how the story goes, but there's something along the following lines that um, eventually, before he died, the Marik found out. I think this is how the story goes. The Marik found out that it was Talmidim in between who told him this lush and hard and it wasn't true. Uh, he felt terrible. On his deathbed, the Marik, I think, um, if I remember the story correctly, uh, wrote to apologize, and he said, you know, it was the Gechaziz that did this, and I think he sent his son to Ramosha Kapsali to apologize personally, and Ramosha Kapsali, first of all, said, it's no problem, he did, he did the class act, you know, he said, it's no problem, and so on and so forth, and I know that the Gechaziz in the world out there can cause a lot of trouble, and I think he even gave the son of Parnosa something along those lines, but in other words, one did a Gechazi route and the other one did a class act. And it was deceptive. In other words, the Marik was, was deceived by these Gechazi types. So it's like a typology over here, you understand? And we have this problem down forever in Jewish history. Not long ago, I read this academic article on the big fights, the terrible fights that were in Poland in the 1910s, 20s, and 30s between the two biggest Hasidic groups. It was terrible. One was the Ger dynasty, you know, Ger Hasidim, one was Alexander. Most of these people end up being killed in the Holocaust. 
and oh, terrible fights. I don't want to go into all the lashon hara. And uh, if I remember correctly, the two rebbes said, you know, if it was just between the two of us, we could settle it. But you have all these, uh, as I say, gechazis in the middle, and they're, uh, you know, and for their own reasons, if they're holier than now, because you're former than your rebbe, you know what I mean? So uh, they're they're causing the Esha Machlokes to be boer ketaner, right? So it's just very interesting that we see this phenomenon, and uh, anytime you have a story in the Nach, not only in the Chumash, especially about certain uh, uh, characters, is existential. It, you know, the, in other words, these are typologies. There are going to be Gechazis out there. There are always going to be Elisha, so we'll have Gedom, not on the level of Elisha, of course, but then you always have these guys who are the Gechazis. And in Israel, and other places, a lot of the bad politics and stuff comes from this uh, phenomenon. I just thought that's interesting. Again, I want to thank the Stefanskis for uh, sponsoring this, uh, you know, in a moment's notice and all the rest of it. Uh, I'm not sure if I should undertake to do a Haftarah podcast. I could do that, you know. I'll see if there's interest, whatever. Uh, the Haftarahs are also fascinating by themselves, totally se- separate from the Parsha week. It just, it's always a question of time. But uh, maybe if there's interest, I'll see. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you, what I call the Gechazi phenomenon. And with that, I wish you a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.